Welcome to City Church. We are a biblically-based, relationally-driven, spirit-led church, encouraging everyone to follow Jesus, grow together, and serve others. We're excited to share this sermon with you today, and you can always find out more about us online at citychurchseville.com. Good morning, and welcome, and welcome to those of you who join us online. It's such a privilege to be here this morning to offer the message and um, uh, I want to give credit where credit is due. Uh, the seeds of this sermon actually began in the mind, well, it began in staff meeting when we were trying to find people to plug in for giving the sermon on this date. But the actual content of this sermon, actually, I can credit Trish for, my wife. She's somewhere here. There, right there. Okay, yeah, so I cannot see the forest for the trees. Um, but, uh, you know, so, and I, I think that she invested a bit more in it, if I might confess, than I did. And uh, so, if it's good, then you can credit her. If it's not good, uh, well, then I take all the blame. But again, welcome, and uh, let's pray. And I, I do, I do want to say thank you to, to Diane for, for your prayer, too. Yeah. So, Lord, be with us. Be present to us at this segment of the service. Thank you, Lord, that we have been able to to encounter you in worship and in fellowship. And now, Lord, as the word of God goes out, we pray, O oh Lord, that you would use it to do what, what you aim to do with it in our lives. Use it to challenge us, to comfort us, to confront us even. And we offer ourselves over to you at this time. In Jesus' name, amen. So as you know, if you've heard me talk before, um, I like to begin with some kind of story that may have some relevance to the, to the sermon. And, uh, and I, was, I, was, I was thinking about this. Today we're going to talk about refocusing uh, because this is the last in the series of four segments, uh, series, yeah, segments. when uh, Pastor Scott, as you recall, talked about rest. Pastor Pete talked about renovate. Last week, Pastor Keith talked about recreate or recreation. And today, I'm going to continue on with the alliteration, hopefully not force it, by talking about refocusing. And so I was just thinking about, okay, what story can help frame this? I was thinking about time when we were serving with Chi Alpha in, south, uh, in southern Missouri at Southwest Missouri State University. I was returning to the Chi Alpha house from lunch, and I took the, the gravel road that ran alongside... Um, some trees and some grass, open grass area. And something caught my eye as I was uh, driving toward the parking lot. And that was this huge, fat, gray cat. But it was in stock mode. And I thought, what is it looking at? And I looked ahead, and there were two squirrels just frolicking, blissfully unaware of the impending doom. So I thought, what do I do? I stopped the car, and I thought a moment. Do I rescue the squirrel? Or do I let nature unfold like, like they do in National Geographic documentaries and let be, what be what's going to be? Well, my bleeding heart chose the former to intervene on behalf of the squirrels. After all, I'm in ministry. <laughs> and so what do I do? Well, honk the horn. Oh, yeah, and you know what happened, right? When I honked the horn... The squirrels looked at me, and the cat came lightning fast 
boom, and grabbed one of those squirrels, got it between its jaws, ran off in the other direction. <laughs> I mentioned that I was uh, returning to the office, the Kaiapa house upstairs was where um, some students, some male students were living, and I'm, unbeknownst to me, I was providing them their afternoon entertainment because they were watching all of this and, and having a good old time. One of those students, we'll call him Jerry, came running out of the, the house and ran after the cat, or at least in the direction of the cat, and I was hopeful that he was going to rescue the squirrel, whose demise I caused, by the way, and, and, and bring him safe, safely back. Well, in my mild shock and shame, I went downstairs to the office and shared my embarrassment with the rest of the staff, and then I got back outside, hoping that Jerry was back with the, with the squirrel intact. Well, in fact, Jerry was back with the squirrel. He had chased that cat down and somehow wrestled that squirrel out of the jaws of that cat and brought him back. However, what I witnessed was Jerry, squirrel on the sidewalk, pocket knife in hand, removing its pelt. Yeah, what? Who does that? Did I say I was in southern Missouri? Well, it turns out that the guys had, had a camping trip planned for the weekend, and this was going to be one of the, the courses, and it was. So nothing really ended well except for Jerry. The cat lost its meal, the squirrel lost its life, and I lost my dignity. <laughs> and it all came about because of what I was, I was responding to what I was seeing. There was all kinds of seeing going on around. What the cat saw, what the squirrel saw, and what I saw, and what Jerry saw. And the decision I made based on what I saw didn't have a very good outcome, at least for the squirrel. And so today we're talking about refocus. And the, the thing about refocusing, the, the, the definition I'm using today is from Merriam-Webster's, to change emphasis or to change direction. And that's the basis on which I will be making comments on what is refocus. And so that tells us that refocusing isn't necessarily about what we see, right? Not, not like when we're in an optometrist chair uh, sitting for an eye exam but rather it's very different than when we're sitting at the feet of God. What is refocus? And today we're going to talk about that. Um, and our journey on refocusing will bring us to the New Testament book of Hebrews. Hebrews is a book I've long been uh, drawn to um, for many reasons. Uh, I taught my first youth Sunday school class at age 17. Yes, I don't know what pastor thought that was a good idea to give me a class, but I did. And then in college, in my undergrad, I took a course on Hebrews. And uh, for my final project, I, I, so I chose to write a commentary and reflection on the book of Hebrews. So it got me involved in the book. And it continues to speak to me today revealing some important and exciting truths. But that's the nature of God's word anyway and our relationship to it, isn't it? We read it anew depending on where we are in our lives at any given moment. A brief word on the background of Hebrews. Number one, we actually don't know who wrote the book. There's no consensus. If there's a consensus, it's that we don't know. 
But what we do know is that the writer to the Hebrew church, the, the, the people in this church, this writer um, had deep knowledge of the Old Testament stories and characters. And this writer was very much aware of what the, who the audience was and what the audience's situation circumstances were and what was that circumstance? What were those circumstances? This is a second generation church according to Hebrews 2.3. And at this point, this church was facing fierce persecution from Rome and from the non-believing Jewish community. Christianity had grown so explosively at this time that it could no longer be perceived as a protected sect under Judaism. It had grown into its own, and it became a threat such that there was this need to quell the growth. This is what the writer to the Hebrews is writing into. This experience of severe pressure and persecution. What happens when we are under such pressure? We look for a way out. And the way out that the Hebrew, this church was looking, is to return to religious practices that were both safe and legal under Roman and Jewish law. The writer of Hebrews does lay out a very brilliant and a very compelling argument as to why you should not do that. Hang in there, do not bail, persevere. Trust the story, as Bible teacher Marty Solomon says, to live in the witness of God's faithfulness. Hebrews is known, among other things, as the book of better things. The Greek word kreton is employed uh, often enough, uh, especially where we see a comparison between Jesus and the prophets of old. In the very first verses of the book of Hebrews, the writer wrote, Long ago God spoke many times and in many ways to our ancestors through the prophets. But now, in these days, these final days, he has spoken to us through his Son. God promised everything to the Son as an inheritance, and through the Son, he created the universe. The Son radiates God's own glory and expresses the character of God, and he sustains everything by the mighty power of his command. When he cleansed us from our sins, he sat down at the place of honor at the right hand of the majestic God in heaven. This shows that the sun is far greater, Kraton, than the angels, just as the name God gave him is greater, Kraton, than their names. For God never said to any angel what he said to Jesus, and he said, you are my son. Today I have become your father. So Jesus is superior, is greater, is Kraton. And this is also part of the argument that the writer to this, this church is is laying out. This is why you need to persevere because going back takes you back to something that is incomplete. Stay with Jesus. <clears throat> now let's glide on over to our passage, to our chapter for today, and that's Hebrews chapter 11. Many of you are familiar with this chapter. This is where the author continuing to develop the case um, by enumer enumerating the legendary characters of the Old Testament stories, highlighting their faith in an unseen God. 
Let's begin with verse 1, and then we'll skip on down. What is faith? Faith, according to this writer, shows the reality of what we hope for. It shows the reality of what we hope for. It is the evidence of things we cannot see. I, this does not make sense to me. <clears throat> Through their faith, the people in days of old earned a good reputation. By faith, we understand that the entire universe was formed by, at God's command, that what we now see did not come from anything that can be seen. Are you kind of getting the theme and pattern here? Now on to verses 23 to 29. And this will be where our comments will come from today. It was by faith that Moses' parents hid him for three months when he was born. They saw that God had given, him, given them an unusual child, and they were not afraid to disobey God's command. <clears throat> he chose to share the... Uh, I'm sorry, it was by faith that Moses, when he grew up, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter. He chose to share the oppressions of God's people instead of enjoying the fleeting pleasures of sin. He thought it was better to suffer for the sake of Christ than to the, own the treasures of Egypt, for he was looking ahead to his great reward, a reward that he could not see with his eyes. It was by faith that Moses left the land of Egypt not fearing the king's anger. He kept right on going because he kept his eyes on the one who is invisible. This to me is a center piece of this passage. It was by faith that Moses commanded the people of Israel to keep the Passover, to sprinkle blood on the doorposts so that the angel of dead would not kill their firstborn sons. It was by faith that the people of Israel went right through the Red Sea as though they were on dry ground, but when the Egyptians tried to follow, they were all drowned. Verse 27 again. Moses kept his eyes on the one who is un invisible, unseen. But how does one keep one's eyes on the thing or the person that is invisible? How is that done? Before we go there, let's look at what is seen. We are told that Moses' parents saw something, perceived something extraordinary about their child that was beyond his physical appearance. Everybody who has ever had a child, a baby, believes that their baby is the most beautiful thing in the world, and that's good and appropriate. But this wasn't about that. Maybe they perceived that Moses had a grand purpose of some kind. However, the problem was that Moses was born at a time that was treacherous and dangerous, at a time when, when the Egyptian pharaoh, because of the threat of the explosive growth of the Hebrews, this enslaved population, decided to employ the strategy of killing firstborn males or infant males. Moses' parents, at dire risk to themselves, believing that their son was special, kept and hid the child for three months. Because of their faith, the scriptures tell us that they were unafraid. Then after three months, because they could no longer safely keep Moses hidden, prepared to separate themselves from their baby and set him adrift along the reeds in the Nile River. For those of you who are parents who, in fact, are here with little ones, can you imagine doing that? 
can you imagine the experience of, for the sake of the child's well-being, surrendering the child to an unknown destiny and future, but let him adrift? You may have all the faith and confidence in the world of God's goodness and faithfulness, but something like that will put pressure on them. I can guarantee it. It was the most difficult decision that Moses' parents had to make. Moses, we are told by the Hebrew author, tells us that he too was in some peril, escaping Egypt and being in pursued and but we, we are this is interesting. We are told here in this passage that Moses surrendered his status as a prince of Egypt and all the perks that come with that. Instead Moses decided to identify himself with an oppressed people. A people who are who didn't have much but who are also considered to be not much. They're enslavers thought so little of them that they set out to kill their firstborn, their infant male children. Their enslavers thought so little of them that they increased the working, the, the difficult, harsh working conditions for them time and again. This is what we see. And what happens when, when that is all we see? What is the effect and impact of camping on the things that we see, especially the difficult things? I know, as you do, that sometimes life gets extremely hard and difficult. The work I do here gives me the opportunity to sit with people living in some very difficult, difficult situations. Some of us may be there. Some of us may be in the midst of a marriage that is, feels hopeless, beyond repair. Some of us may have received recent health diagnosis that seems grim. Some of us may be sitting here with guts tied up in knots because we don't know where the, how we're going to pay that next bill. Some of us are maybe facing some difficult decisions in terms of our future and employment. The, the, the number of difficulties and experiences are, remain unnamed, but they are many. And answers do not come very easily to these. We want more than anything to find a way out. We want more than anything to experience real hope. And when we find ourselves remaining fixed on the trouble, we risk some things. We risk becoming vulnerable to pursuing solutions that lead us away from truth and health. We begin to doubt whether God is there, much less cares. We can descend into deep discouragement and depression. There are other risks for sure, but you get the picture. The challenge before us is to find a way to refocus, as it seemed Moses and the others listed in chapter 11, on the one who is unseen, to set our gaze upon the invisible one. 
Now, not everything we see is necessarily bad. Sometimes what we see is good, but that good may impede the pathway that God has set out for us. I'm thinking of the years ago when we were invited to leave a fulfilling life, ministry, church. All of it was good. But it was that that kept me dragging my heels and refusing to refocus on what was very clear God was calling us to. Having begrudgingly followed the Lord and his leading to here, the experience has been one in which God's purposes and God's faithfulness, his goodness has become clearer and clearer and clearer such that there are no regrets. Sometimes what is good can keep us from moving forward too. Not only what is bad. The, the deal is that we need to refocus on the one who calls. And, and, and how is it then that we, we know this? Well, this is the twist, right? I talked about earlier. It's not about what we see. It's about what we hear. Moses, as you recall, his first encounter with God was on Mount Sinai where God presented himself as a burning bush. Now, we all of us know that anytime we see a burning bush, we're not going to say, well, there's God. God is not defined by this picture of burning bush. It was extraordinary. I am not exactly sure why God decided to do a burning bush. There are others in here that probably know well better than me. But the, I, but the deal is, is this. It's not what Moses saw. It caught his attention. But it is what he heard that changed his life forever. The voice coming from this burning bush. There are many scriptures in both Testaments that, that support this. Deuteronomy chapter 8, verse 1 through 3. We are not to live on manna or bread alone. By, by every word that proceeds, that comes from the mouth of God. Jesus famously quoted this in response to Satan's temptation for him to turn stones into bread to satisfy his hunger. Isaiah chapter 30 verse 21 tells us, your own ears will hear him right behind you. A voice will say, this is the way you should go, whether to the right or to the left. John 10, 27, Jesus said, my sheep listen to my voice and they follow me. Romans 10, 17 so faith comes from hearing. That is hearing the good news about Christ. 2 Corinthians 5, 7. For we live by believing and not by seeing. And Hebrews 2, 1. So we must listen very carefully to the truth we have heard or we may drift away from it. And they have heard the truth. And the Hebrew writer is is imploring them, is pleading, be careful to listen to what we know is true. The God we, we put our trust in may be unseen. But that's not where it is. It is what we have heard. Circumstances can, and they do change. 
Now we understand that the Hebrew writers tells us that a lot of these people that he lists did not live to fulfill the ultimate promise found in, in, in Messiah Jesus and his coming kingdom. But they remain faithful nonetheless. But sometimes circumstances do change in short order. Moses' mom had to separate herself from her son to save his life. Set him adrift and received by Egyptian princess, adopted by her, but noticing that he is a Hebrew child, saw the need for a Hebrew nursemaid. And guess who got to be that? Jochebed. Her circumstances changed a bit. Can you imagine the joy that was exploding all over the place when she got reunited with her child? Moses, yes, he forsook his identity as a prince of Egypt and all the perks that come with it. And he identified himself with an oppressed people. But the God of his ancestors and the God of all creation came to Moses and said, I choose you to be the agent of deliverance and freedom for the people, my people, who have been enslaved for more than 400 years. I choose you. And in so doing, God offered Moses a new identity. Circumstances change for him, and they can change for us too. What does Moses' life here have to say to us? Well, maybe at least one thing. One option, and that is this. That we move from a place of relying on what it is we are seeing, the trouble all around us, and refocus on what we come to know by way of God speaking to us. And how does God speak? Well, yes, he speaks through his word, whether it is by reading his word, by hearing his word, by even singing his word. God's word speaks to us. God speaks to us through others, to people of faith, to people in our faith community, brothers, sisters in Christ. God speaks to us through circumstances. His voice is carried along in various ways. And it is the Holy Spirit who is present in all those ways, and he is the one who effects resonance between our souls and the truth about who God is and what God is trying to say to us. Don't hear me today offering trite, easy answers and solutions to profoundly difficult situations. There are no such answers. And it's complicated. But do hear me saying that the God who loves us passionately, the Hebrew word for God's love is he loves passionately and longs to be present to us during our trouble. This is the God in whom we have relationship and opportunity to be in relationship with. I, I, often, when I, when I, I often use Psalm 23, the Lord, the Lord is my shepherd, um, to talk about this with people in my office and especially in the verse that says, even when I walk through the darkest valley, I will not be afraid, for you are beside me. Your rod and your staff protect and comfort me. There are no lofty promises 
as if to say, well, your trouble doesn't matter very much. Our troubles do matter. They very often are very deep. God is not interested in dismissing or minimizing our experiences. But what the psalmist teaches us here is that that we needn't fear, we need not fear evil. Why? Because you are with me. And that is enough. That the God who loves us with an undying, passionate love, who cares, who has troubled himself to send his son Jesus to do the work to reconcile us back to himself. It is he who desires to be present in our troubled times and moments. And it is his voice, the good shepherd's voice. Remember Jesus, my my sheep, my flock know my voice. It is that voice that reminds us that God is present. This good God is present. I mentioned earlier that God's voice sounds like, well, his word, but also sounds like us. God uses the agency of his people, his community. And my challenge to us today is to, is to lean into and live into community with other believers. Worship on Sunday mornings cannot, the importance of it cannot be overstated, except if you believe that worship on Sunday mornings is is the end all and be all to your life as a Christian. It is not. Sunday morning worship is but an aspect of community. What I'm challenging us to do is consider engaging community through joining a life group, Bible study, an affinity group, any, any kind of community that, that is there to encourage us and to build us up in our faith and to offer company for the journey. We need it. We're not meant to do life alone. I also want to encourage you um, on the announcements, there was a highlight on, on our cohorts. Please check those out because, again, there is where community will be. Focus around certain topics, but um, community will offer us what we need to refocus, to see the unseen, to trust the story, and to hear God's voice. Um, I want to invite uh, members of the prayer team and Stephen ministers, if you are here, to be ready to, to join us for prayer up here. If you have been prompted in your heart to receive prayer, um, please don't hesitate to do that. Come forward. People will want to pray with you and talk with you. Um, would you stand as I, as I offer the pastoral blessing? And now may the Lord bless you and protect you. May the Lord smile on you and be gracious to you. And may the Lord show you his favor and give you his peace. Amen.